Imagine making your first million by the time you were 27. Mike Dillard doesn't have to imagine. An Austin-based entrepreneur, Mike altered his future by teaching small business owners how to effectively market their products and services online using attraction marketing strategies. Mike mastered a skill and found a way to monetize teaching others those skills. He continues to dabble in many other areas in business, but has always shares his best practices via his podcast, Self-Made Man. Just a note before we jump into our conversation with Mike Dillard, we had a few technical difficulties, so some of the audio from myself and Ryan is a bit hard to hear. But don't worry, you can hear all of Mike's story and advice loud and clear. podcast where we talk about masters that have mastered a craft or skill of 10,000 plus hours or founded a business. We want to thank our sponsors Still Whiskey, Kind Bar, Tiny House Coffee, Waterloo Sparkling Water, and where we are hosting this podcast, the Russell Collection Fine Art Gallery. Today, we have Mike Dillard, who is a businessman, self-made man. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of his podcast, The Self-Made Man, and we're really excited to learn from him. Um, I'm gonna jump right in and uh, and and say say hi, Dan. I mean, uh, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> this is Dan Dillard over here too. So we have the same last name. But yeah, it's yeah, confusing. yeah, for sure. Could easily be a family gig. Uh, no, thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here. Yeah, thank you very much. So I, uh, it's interesting, you know. About three years ago, I was I was looking into how to make money online. You came up right away. I watched a bunch of your YouTube videos, and I already kind of know a little bit about your story, but if you could tell everybody how uh, from start to finish where you were and what you tried to do, really, and what you've done, and now you're here. Yeah, sure. Uh, You know, it started way back in high school, really. Uh, I used to... um, bus tables at the original Romano's Macaroni Grill in Bernie, Texas, right next to the original Rudy's Barbecue before it became a franchise and all of that good stuff. So I would, uh, I would bus tables on the weekends, and I would mountain bike competitively uh, on the, the state championship series during the week, so that's how I made money to, to afford that. And I hated the fact that I had a boss who told me when I had to work, how much I had to work, and how much money I was going to make. And I would get home on a Friday and Saturday night at midnight, smelly, exhausted, hot after working, you know, nine, ten hours. And I'd sit down and decompress and uh, watch infomercials, right? I'd see infomercials about about uh, Tony Robbins and, and how to make money and start a business, and that kind of planted the seed in my head. Uh, started to pursue different business ideas all throughout college, essentially failed at all of them, and eventually realized that you have to learn a skill in order to to achieve, you know, success and get results. So, what what were some of the things that you tried at and failed? You know, my first exposure to entrepreneurship. This is around late '90s, early 2000. Uh, you know, really in college it was network marketing. Uh, this was Web 1.0. This is before video was really online. This is before social media. And so, if you're a broke college student, the amount of opportunities out there for you are pretty limited. And uh, but that's one business model or industry that was really accessible. So that's what I pursued for five or six years unsuccessfully. Uh, I hated selling. I was very shy. And, uh, and then again, five or six years into it, I realized that results are not going to come from an opportunity. They're not going to come from a product or a business or a mentor. 
And I finally realized that if I'm gonna get a result, I have to go become one of the best in the world at something. I have to acquire a skill set. And that way I can take action and I can get a positive result and move forward. And so I decided to master selling because that was my weakest point. And I knew if I wanted to build a business, I have to sell stuff. And so that's, that's something I needed to figure out. And I discovered Dan Kennedy, direct response uh, marketing. And from a, a shy introverted guy, that was a godsend for me because I always equated selling as knocking on doors, shaking hands and, and going to events. And here I realized that I could sit down in front of a computer and write a web page or a letter or an email that would be just as effective at selling a product or service and I could put that in front of thousands of people a day using Google and actually get people to buy. Um, and so I spent about two years reading every book and course that I could on copywriting, mastering that skill set, wrote my first ebook essentially on attraction marketing and wrote the sales copy for that uh, I think around 2005, 2006. And it essentially was 55 pages I typed up in Word. Uh, it was never spell-checked, designed the cover art myself, got it printed at Kinko's and Spiral Bound. Sorry. And I yeah, sold it uh, for $39 a copy. Uh, the world responded really well to what I taught in that, and within three months I was selling around $50,000, $60,000 a month of that book. Wow. What yeah. year, what, around what year is this? 2006-ish. 2006-ish. Yeah. We're in prime Google AdWords. Taught myself how to use AdWords as well. That was back when it was easy and yeah. and you could, you know, that was the wild west for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, email marketing was still working really, really well. Your open rates were probably high. Yeah, I yeah. Assume. Yeah, you know, same. Email's still number one for us today as well. Uh -huh. yeah. And what outlets do you use now for your, for your brand? And what are you finding the most effective? I, you know, I've always relied on email. That's our primary distribution channel. Uh, but now we're moving more into Instagram and social. Uh, but from a sales perspective, I, I've yet to find anything that's as effective as email and webinars today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you think that's been pretty constant since you've been at it, right? You know, it's finally starting to change, but it's interesting because if you're on social, let's say, you know, you guys, if we start to focus on building a large Instagram presence, or a Facebook fan page, we've already seen what happens there. We're not in charge of the algorithm, right? right. So you can have 100,000 followers on Instagram and you might only get five, 6,000 impressions. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's, it's tough because you put all of that work and money and time into building that channel and, and you have no control over your reach. Where email, it's still 100%. There is no algorithm, there is no filter. You get to the inbox and it's up to you to build a relationship at that point, but you're not fighting this ghost, right, who's, who's uh, affecting you in that regard. So uh, in my mind, that's the one, still the one big advantage that it has over all of these other networks is full ownership, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I never looked at it like that. I agree 100%. I was talking to a, a Facebook uh, and Instagram social media specialist the other day, and she had a term that I hadn't heard, but it's called Facebook Zero, because 0% of your audience actually gets the message. I mean, it's like literally 1% or 2%, and anytime they want to change that audience, you might have... To your point, 100,000 viewers and only two or three people, two or 3,000 people see it. Yeah, the, you, I'm, I make one post to Facebook a week on our fan page, which is our podcast episode. Yeah. And I spend 250, 300 bucks to boost it. And that's the only way it gets any, any views whatsoever. So, yeah. It was uh, interesting. Mark Zuckerberg came out with the keynote saying that the users were complaining that businesses were organically getting places. And, and in the beginning of Facebook, it was not meant for that at all, actually. It kind of evolved into that, and I thought that that was interesting. 
So he's going to push back the algorithm, and then we all have to learn again what, what's working and what's not. So, so I think that's really cool. When you were uh, when you were deciding to build online, what 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 made you do what you did by teaching courses, writing books? Why was that the thing that stuck to you? Uh, all of my businesses have been founded around my own personal challenges and finding solutions for those. So the first one was, uh, you know, sales. I hated I hated selling. So. The question I asked was, how can I get people to come to me ready to buy rather than me chase after them and try to convince them, right? And so when I figured out the solution to that problem, um, you know, I decided to, to put it in a book and teach other people who had my same issues and challenges, right? Uh, the second business was in finance. You know, I built an eight-figure company at that point. Uh, I was 30 years old, and I had no idea what to do with the money that my business had made. So that was my next big challenge is, hey, how do I responsibly learn how to invest and, and, you know, take care of this asset that I've built. And so uh, that led to uh, the Elevation Group, and that was essentially just a private membership website where once a month I would get in front of a camera and interview someone in the finance investing space, uh, maybe that I personally invested with or that I wanted to learn from on a specific topic. It might be investing in, you know, oil and gas or uh, cash flow real estate or infinite banking, or something along those lines. And we sold access to that for 97 a month. And in the first seven days, we acquired 8,700 members in our first wow. week. Wow. Uh, and that was only because the previous business, you know, we built up an email list of about 250,000 people, right? Mm -hmm. So we had a distribution channel in place with an audience that had a lot of positive regard for myself and what we had done. And uh, so... To me, that's always been kind of the core of my business is that, is that list and that audience because everything we do, that's our distribution channel. Sure. Uh, so, for sure. And you've, you've more recently started your podcast, and how has that changed the game for everything that you've been doing? Uh, you know, the podcast is interesting. I started the podcast not to turn it into an audience or to build an, a podcast audience. I started it to deliver value to my existing email list. Uh, on a regular weekly basis, right, in the most time-efficient manner that I could, which means I'm not the one producing the content our guests are. Uh, so that's why I started it, and then it, it kind of took on a life of its own. It's been the best ROI from a, uh, an audience appreciation standpoint. The, you know, the amount of people who found our brand because of the show, because of recommendations, the amount of goodwill that we've created with our audience because of the show has been better than anything else I've ever done. Um, and it's been fantastic to be able to meet all of the guests and build relationships, you know, with all of the guests that we've had, right? That's a, a huge advantage that I'd, I wouldn't have had otherwise. So the podcast, I think, is a fantastic way to deliver value to an existing audience. I would not want to be in a position where I'm trying to build an audience from scratch with a podcast because I think it's unbelievably difficult to be unique these days, to do it well, do it right, and to be found uh, with, you know, the other five million podcasts that are out there these days. And for the most part, they're all interviews, right? That's what we all do because it's practical, it's simple. Um, and so how are you going to compete in a space where there's a hundred other podcasts in your niche doing the same thing? So that's kind of how I look at it and how I approach it. Great. Who's been your uh, biggest challenge? One of my favorite questions. In general? In general. <laughs> so starting your, this path of being founder in your businesses. You know, learning to scale and delegate and build a team and manage manage a business as a CEO 
that's not my personality style. You know, I had a I had a small team with an office at one point, and I never went because I would never get anything done. I do my best work when I'm alone in solitude, and, and I just get to think and write and create. Um, I'm not super into managing people or their feelings or emotions, <laughs> you know, on a, on a daily basis. And I'm just not really interested in that, but unfortunately that's a part of building a company. So for me that's always been a huge challenge. And right now I'm, I'm really trying to figure out uh, how to delegate that piece out to someone else and realizing that it doesn't have to be me. And in fact, I just had a great conversation with JT McCormick, who's the CEO of Book in a Box with Tucker Max right here in Austin. And Tucker's very much like me. We have very similar personalities and work styles. And Tucker's like, I just need to bring in a CEO to run that side of the business. So we brought in JT a year ago and they've just blown up like crazy because of that. So I'm, you know, having that realization at this point and, uh, and that's my big, my big goal moving forward. Any favorite interviews? Huh. I mean, there's there's been so many, right? There's just we've probably done 150 now, and there's just been a lot of really great, knowledgeable people. Uh, at the same time, it's pretty difficult. You, I'm sure you know this. We break our interviews down into three, uh, you know, categories or, or features of a guest, if you will, that we look for. First is, are they obviously an, uh, an expert on their subject matter? They have to be that. Two, are they a great storyteller on a show? Are they entertaining to listen to? And three, do they have their own audience uh, that would either bring more credibility to our show because, you know, like Tony Robbins or Damon John as a guest is on uh, and it, you know, escalates our brand value, if you will. And so those are the three categories that we look for and every guest has to have at least two. You know, meaning you don't have to be a celebrity, but you've got to be really interesting and, and know your stuff or vice versa, right? And that's really hard to find someone with all three. That's kind of a grand slam in our book. Uh, so. From a, so as you're aware, you know, there's many people, professors and founders, people that listen to this, or people that have ideas and they're like, how do I get started? And some of our influences and, and, and whatnot. What would be your... Um, for a person that's starting today, like rewind where you, where you were back in was it 2000 we talked about? Mm -hmm, yeah. What would be your advice to, to them as far as they're on the couch thinking about these ideas and want to start executing? What would be the first things that you would say to them? Yeah, for me, it was, it's all going back and figuring out which skill you want to master and just master one skill because that's what's going to allow you to get a result. And that result is going to you know, give you confidence. It's going to help you build momentum. It's going to allow you to take the next step in the process. Uh, so whenever someone asks me, you know, hey, how do you do this? I'm like, hey, what are you one of the best in the world at? Or what are you trying to become? And nine times out of ten, it's, you know, nothing at that point. But, you know, look, if you want to build a, a social media business, you've got to master Instagram or Facebook, period. You've got to literally master it well enough to where you could be your own agency and run somebody else's campaign and grow their account successfully. And that's where I'd really start. We, we call it a bridge business, right? If you've got a real job these days and you want to make the leap to full-time self-employed, uh, you've got to have a consistent source of income for at least six months that you can count on so you're not freaking out. And the best way to do that is to go let someone else pay you to get really great at a skill set. Um, whether that's running a podcast, doing their videography, growing their YouTube channel, growing their Instagram channel, whatever it may be, just make sure it's a skill that's aligned with your eventual goals and what you want to deploy in your business so that you can hit the ground running. Uh, but until you do that, you're stuck in the, the ideation phase. You know. 
I want to address one thing that's, I think, common to a lot of people starting out, and it's fear. Did you have any fear when you first started? Sure. You know, fear of selling was huge. I used to, uh, you know, when I was at the point where I, all I could really do is call cold call leads or business cards that I picked up, I would stare at my phone for hours. Like, oh, no, I need a, a new printer cartridge, and I'd find an excuse to go to Home Depot and do anything but make those phone calls. And... I, I think I picked it up from Tony Robbins. He said uh, at one point, ironically, people are usually willing to do something that they don't want to do for someone else rather than themselves. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to put that to the test. And I was like, I'm going to go get a job. This is right out of college that requires me to sell and, and make a ton of phone calls uh, to force myself to learn this skill. So I applied for a job at a company called Merritt Hawkins Recruiting Surgeons in Dallas, Texas. And it's one of those jobs where it's a really low base salary and then it's performance-based, right? And I don't know how I got the job, but I got it. And they set me down in my cube on day one. And there's nothing in there except on my desk except a phone and a five-ring binder that's probably five to six inches in diameter. And it just said, you've got to make 300 to 400 cold calls a day to these doctor's offices, get past the gatekeeper and try to connect with the doctor. And that's it. And, and so I had to. And within my second day, my fear of the phone was gone. You know, at that how point, many calls a day we three, at least 300 a day. Wow. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you, you talk about trying to get past a nurse to a busy doctor. Mm-hmm. That's a tough, yeah. that's a tough gig. So, yeah. Did you call that one of the turning point, points in your career? Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. That took me, you know, with, within, within 48 hours, I got over a fear that had held me back for five years. And uh, that's a turning point. That's... What I really appreciate about that story is that, or a few things that you've said today is that you first identified what things you weren't good at, and then something in you said, i got to go get, be good at that. Well, the, the fear of having to go get a regular job and have that boss again was even worse than that fear, right? So I had two choices, give in on, you know, what I wanted to do in my dream or go get over it. And, it, you know, unfortunately, it took me longer than I wish it had. I wish I'd figured that out five years sooner, but... Um, you know, it's better than never. <laughs> so, yeah. That leads me into something. I, if you could go back, and this is a cliche question, but I always like to hear the answer to it. If you could go back and talk to yourself, what would you do different? I could just kick myself in the ass and say, go, like, go do it now. Like, it's not going to change a month from now or a year from now. It's going to be the same damn obstacle. Just go do it now. And, uh, you know, I, on, a, on a general scale, I was still quite successful considering I the first seven-figure business I built by the age of 27, but I could have done it at 22 um, if I had just taken action sooner. So take action. So one of the things that, uh, besides fear, is fear of failure. Um, How do you see failure now versus when you first started? You know, I don't really think about it that way. It's, it still happens. uh, But it's just a, what's the right word for this? It's just an inconvenience. I would have liked to have had a better result, you know, for a particular project if we launched it or something like that. So we may have failed by the standard we had set for ourselves, but I don't, at that point, it's just like, well, shit, now we just got to work harder and, you know, to get back to where we want to be. But, uh, you know, I don't think about failure. I don't think about the word. I don't ever use it. I don't talk about it. You always been that way or just, just over time? Uh, you know, I think once I got over those initial fears and just started to take action, it just goes away because at that point, once I was self-sufficient and paying my bills, that, there, that was successful. 
failure is gone at that point. The only thing, you know, afterward is, a, you know, a, a business test or strategy that didn't go the way we wanted, but I wouldn't consider it a failure. And I just, yeah, the word's not in my vocabulary at this point. Like yeah. I've, I've uh, in doing the interviews that, we're, that we've done over the last couple of years, I've noticed in my life uh, just all this knowledge that comes in from all these other doers and shakers and movers. Uh, and notice that I had a very low pain threshold to begin with, or high uh, threshold, and it's literally gone now just because you hear of what others are having to face, their fears, their, their rejection, and, and, all, and then how they overcome it. And it's those stories that you, uh, it's just this great path where you learn all these stories and just kind of they influence your life significantly. Yeah, they yeah. Have so. yeah, no, absolutely. You know, guys like, like JT or Wes Chapman that I've talked to who went through unbelievable amounts of abuse during their childhoods, physically, emotionally, sexually, and everything. I'm like, you know, those guys are fucking monsters. Yeah. You know, pardon my French for, for getting through that and, and achieving the results that they've had. Uh, so I've had it easy. Awesome. Yeah. And that's part of it. it. Something happening to you, facing fear or failing, once you do that, it's, it's kind of like a stress off your back, I, I think. Yeah, no, uh, in a recent interview we did with, with Austin, Austin, I hear we, you've got to, you guys have got to get him on the show, is Keith Cunningham. Okay. And, you know, Keith is the guy who's on stage at all of Tony Robbins' events, who teaches the, his business classes, right? Uh, 70 years old, the guy's just, you know, went through bankruptcy at the age of 40, had to start over from less than zero, millions of dollars in debt. And he laid down a quote that I, I will just always remember, which is uh, the definition of hell. And that's meeting uh, the person you could have become on on you know your last day here, and uh, and realizing all of the potential you had that you let fear get in the way of, or you know whatever it may be, and I was like, yep, that would be that'd be pretty horrific, um, is to to meet that person when you're out of time to do anything about it, right? So that's awesome. I really like that. Standing where you where you sit in your career right now, who who influences you, and and who do you want to influence? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I just turned 40, right? So I'm in this, I'm in this age category where I, uh, I look up to a lot of guys who are, you know, like Keith, right, in their 50s and 60s who've built a legacy and, and have really uh, learned a lot, and yet a lot of my audience is still in their 20s. And so it's, a, it's an interesting place to be, and it's like, do we talk about fun stuff like cars and lifestyle components of it, or do we talk about, you know, creating a, a legacy for your family and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's been interesting, but, um, you know, yeah, I, guys like Keith who've, who've been there, done it, especially with him after, after seeing him have to start over, you know, from zero in his 40s when you're supposed to be harvesting, you know, at that stage in your career, and he's having to, having to start from scratch again. I think that was super inspiring, and, yeah, for that's, sure. That's rough. You yeah. just um, tell, tell us about where you're at now with Self Made Man. I know there's some new things, new developments that I've been seeing on the email. email. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I guess, uh, you know, on the topic of failure, right, my, my most tangible experience of that was probably two years ago when uh, I, I set out to do something completely different. Uh, I wanted to get out of the industry I'd been in and, and pull an Elon, right, move into a completely new uh, area of technology. So. I set out to build uh, the world's first completely automated hydroponic farm for your house, essentially, that would grow all of your produce for you automatically, you know, right in your kitchen or your living room. And I don't know anything about that. Uh, I got on Amazon about five books about hydroponics three years ago, and that started my education when it came to that, 
that world, N never developed a physical product, never been in manufacturing, never developed tech. Um, and so I dove into that full force, put every penny I'd, I'd accumulated into, into that project, multiple seven figures, two and a half years. And then, uh, you know, we got to the, the prototype done, which is in my living room today. And I'm like, okay, guys, how much is this really going to cost? This was supposed to be a third of this by now, and we're supposed to be in production. And like, ah, uh, you know, another two and a half, three million dollars. Yeah, I'm like, crap. So I've either got to go raise money at that point, uh, or at the same time, a, a competing company who's out of Y Combinator, they're really well funded. They've been in business seven years called Click and Grow, came out with uh, essentially three competing models at that same point in time when I'm having to, to make this big business decision. And if you put our units side by side, we win. We won in, in looks, uh, but they won in every other category, price, you know, uh, how much food the, their units could grow versus ours and everything else. And I was like, as a marketer, I don't want to have to compete against that. And I especially don't want to have to do it with other people's money that, that I, you know, have on the line. So I had to make the decision to pull the plug, lost a couple million bu bucks in the process, and I ended up uh, investing in them. Uh, they had a, an open bridge round, and I just called up the founder. And, and uh, so hopefully the question is, how can you turn a bad, unanticipated result into a win in the long run? And that was my, my strategy on how to do that. So, yeah, so hopefully in five or six years they'll have an exit, and I'll, I'll make back what I lost. So that would be my biggest bomb. And uh, the backup plan, plan B, was, was to go all in on self-made man and turn that into, you know, really a the biggest e-learning platform we can dedicated to entrepreneurs uh, and to take me out of it, uh, you know, on the day-to-day -day and really use it as a platform to feature other educators, teachers, and experienced entrepreneurs um, and, uh, and build it into a real business rather than the mic show, if you will, right? right so, right, right. yeah. So that's what you're working on now. Yeah, so we launched that two weeks ago and we had about 26,000 free uh, profiles signed up in the first two weeks. And now we're, you know, in the process of building out a team and our processes and all of the, the boring stuff that I don't want to have anything to do with but that has to get done. And, um, and hopefully, you know, in three or four years, we'll, we'll have a couple hundred thousand active paid members and, and, you know, we'll have a nice exit out of that. So, Very cool. Yeah. I, have a, I have a question. And I, I like just asking this question regarding uh, hobbies. What, what, what do you do for fun? Uh, drive race cars. <laughs> Tell me about how you got into that. Yeah, yeah, I got into it in 2008. I went on a, an adventure trip with my buddy Yannick Silver. He's a very successful entrepreneur. We went down to Baja, Mexico and did the whole off-road Baja trip for three days through the desert. First time in, a, in an actual you know, race car, quote-unquote, if you will, with a roll cage and a five-point harness. Absolutely loved it. Four or five months later, went back, and my very first motorsport event ever uh, was the Baja 1000. <laughs> okay, uh, so the longest, most dangerous race on the planet was my very first time ever competing in a in motorsports. Wow. Um, so that was unbelievable. We had myself and three other buddies did it. We split it in teams of two. So my buddy Jay and I raced the first 12 hours. We handed it off 12 hours later to our other friends who did the 12, next 12. So it took us four, 24 hours to finish. Um, but I was totally hooked at that point, and then we got the Circuit of the Americas built here in Austin in our backyard, which has uh, moved me into the, the road racing category. And so we just last week competed in a, uh, the Porsche series here, my buddy Brent and I. And, yeah, if money was no object right now and I had 
I could do anything, I'd be racing full time. And, and the ultimate goal is to end up competing in Le Mans in the next five, six years. So, Very yeah. cool. Driving. Yes, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That's, that's, got, that's definitely got adrenaline going and everything else, which I, can, I just imagine. Yeah, speed's always been my... My my uh, my adrenaline fix of choice, and you know it's unbelievably difficult. You don't realize how different of an experience it is in the car versus spectating. Uh, you're in the car; it's a whole different ball game, and you're having to calculate everything in real time. I, I say it's it's similar to golf in the fact that every single corner on a track is like a golf swing, where every single swing is different. It depends on. You know, the heat that day, the moisture, the, the texture of the grass, how you're feeling, uh, you know, all of it. And it's the same on a track with the temperature of the track, the air in your tires, you know, who's in front of you. And, uh, and if you're side by side at a guy at 100 miles an hour, you've now got to calculate the geometry and how that's changing in real time as you approach a corner. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to end up, you know, mixed in with that person or in a wall, right? So there's real consequences if you make a mistake which I find really interesting. I don't like sports where there are no consequences. And, and there's definitely adrenaline involved because of that. So, That's cool. yeah. Amazing, yeah. It really is. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big car guy. My, my whole family's in the car business. I'm a very big Porsche fan, too. So it's, yeah. it's, I've always aspired to be a race car driver. Everybody asks me, what would you do if it was your dream job? I always say I'd be a, I'd be a, a race car driver. F1, probably. <laughs> yeah. it, it's so cool to me. I mean, driving around at those speeds with consequences, I've never heard it like that. It, it, it's infatuating because your life is in your hands and, and I, well, and everybody else's, right? It's, there's, there's no room for failure there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I want to I wanna ask you if, if you want to say anything else, unless Dan, I think we're ready to wrap up. Yeah. I think we got what we wanted to. And, no, no, thanks for having having me. I love what you guys are doing here, and, and the magazine's awesome. And, uh, yeah, Austin's turning it to quite a cool spot. Appreciate you coming on and being our guest. Yeah, and absolutely. A lot more about you. Yeah, Look thank you guys. To getting on the lake with you soon. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, sir. As we were talking there at the end, there is so much you can learn from other people. But truly mastering a skill is what sets you apart and sets you up for success. Thank you, Mike, for taking the time to speak with us. And make sure you check out his podcast, Self-Made Man, for more tips and advice from Mike and his growing network. The Masters and Founders team includes me, Dan Dillard, and producer Mariah Gossett. Thank you to Ryan Francis for co-hosting this episode with me. And special thanks to the whole team at Founding Austin. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and please rate and review on iTunes as it really helps. Also, if you want to check out full videos from our interviews on this podcast and beyond, check out the Masters and Founders Facebook group. Thanks again for listening.